0: Hello and welcome to the At Sea Level podcast, brought to you by Intelligent Briefings, a Lynchpin Media brand. My name is Jess Phillips, Director of Strategic Content at Lynchpin Media, and this is the podcast where we speak to technology chiefs about how they're making waves in the industry, chatting to them about their career journey so far, their management style, and how they're planning for what's yet to come. Delighted to welcome this week's guest to the At Sea Level podcast. We have Carl Dalloween, Chief Technology Officer at DataDobi. Carl has been building cloud and storage software for 20 years. He's made notable contributions on protecting and manipulating unstructured data, building highly scalable and secure storage systems, and enabling metadata-driven insights and automation. Each is a cornerstone of the Data Adobe business and technology, and Carl owns many patents in this domain. He was instrumental in the growth and acquisition of storage companies, Amplidata and QLayer. He also worked at EMC Centera, where he architected the world's first commercial object storage system. Carl had a double master's degree in electrical engineering and in mathematics. It's an interesting discussion where we look at what the future of data storage holds, and look at how Carl's passion for mathematics and engineering has really played a role in shaping his career. Thank you for joining us this morning, Carl. It's really great to have you with us. Thank you, Jess. The first section of the podcast is called Memory Lane. And this is where we take a trip down memory lane to find out a little bit about your career journey to date. And this first question does require a little bit of imagination but let's just pretend we somehow managed the impossible and created a time machine. You've used that time machine and you've come face to face with a 16-year-old version of yourself the year you might have finished school, made some big decisions about your future. How would present you describe your current job role to that person?
1: That's an uh, excellent question. So I I would say I'm a inventing things and solving problems. And, and, and that's what always drove me. Even, even back when I was 16, I was so thrilled by mathematics and, and, and technology um, that, I, that I really wanted to do stuff with that, but, but rather theoretical back then. And then I think at, at some point, I, was, I guess I was 17, um, I wanted to start studying math. But, but my father told me, uh, well, why don't you do engineering? And then you can see math as a, as a hobby. <laughs> and I'm very glad he said that because the applied science and applied technology is really what drives I me. Mean, I I love these technical puzzles, but I definitely love them when they make sense for a customer and they solve a real world problem. So, so that's, um, that's the path I chose and I would definitely recommend it again to my younger self back then.
0: Would your younger self be impressed? Do you think
1: <laughs> probably not? I would think what uh, what is this old fart saying here? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so tell us a little bit more then about your career journey to date.
1: So it um, when I when I was studying, I uh, I did electrical engineering first, and then I got a scholarship for UC Berkeley. So that was fantastic for me. So I started in Belgium at university, but then at Berkeley, it's of course. Uh, a huge uh, audience, a high quality university, and then I, that was back in 2000, so the, just before the dot-com boom, so there was like plenty of opportunity, every student had a little business plan in his back pocket, so those were, those were really uh, great days, and my my core interest back then was, was cryptography and, and security, and that basically stayed all the way through through my career, so my my first job was in a in a crypto company where we did all kinds of uh, electronic security, electronic payments were getting started back then. And 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 that was really funny. So I, I remember um bang. I mean the, the secure protocol we use today on the internet didn't exist or wasn't fully shaped yet. SSL, you you might have seen that a uh, in your browser once in a while and um some banks are trying it themselves to 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 build a secure protocol and and our job was to crack it or hack it and and that was really thrilling i mean i was 22 years old and you get these big name banks from london who were building a protocol you sniffed some bytes, looked at the hex and and you basically find out like okay i can find the password. I really found the password. So it, it, it was fantastic. So I love that. So that's that was the beginning of the career. But then I, I quickly moved into storage. And what what's nice about storage is that it's also very algorithmically. So you have to find smart ways to apply um, math and, and algorithms to, to build something scalable to build something fast to build something secure so i used to work at, at emc back then and and some of the people back then are actually the founders of the current company data adobe i'm i'm working in and we built we built big scalable object storage systems that that was really cool so after that uh, wasn't an i started joining startups so that was really fun so we we a little startup that got acquired by uh, Sun Microsystems right before Sun itself got acquired by Oracle. Then did another startup in mobile communication, and then third startup was in um, again object storage system, Amplidata, and that was a very good one because the team grew very quickly. We got VC, so we really did the perfect path there, and we got acquired ultimately by by Western Digital. So that was that was really awesome to to land in a big company. But of course, once you're in a big company, the the rules tend to change. I mean, it's not about um, like working long nights and 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 getting puzzles solved and 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 doing the extreme. it It, it might become more like uh, business and and politics and and more structured. so so that's yeah, I, I I like more the smaller companies where everybody does everything and there's a lot of uh, activity than than politicized uh, large companies. And after yeah, I think the company got got uh, Western Digital divested in that group and now I joined Data Adobe about a year ago. and it's it's a small group again, but with with people with lots of experience uh, from um, EMC and other companies. And where I've always been building storage systems, now I'm actually at the client side. i'm I'm moving data between storage systems. and it's a whole different way to look at things. But it's it's interesting because as, as you know, people are like continuously evaluating, should I move to cloud? Should I uh, stay on-prem? Should I have my second data center or not? Uh, what should I do with, with, with backups? Um, is it secure? I mean, ransomware became a very big thing. So again, the, the scalable distributed systems and the security world tends to come together again. And that's always where I wanna work and where there's plenty of uh, challenges.
0: I was going to ask what it was about storage that has kept your interest, but it sounds like it really closely aligns with your own passion for um, mathematics and, and engineering. Exactly.
1: So it's, it's indeed in in storage, you always want to be more scalable and faster and more secure. And I mean, there's all these things like how do you delete data? How do you do garbage collection? And these these problems are, are trivial if you build a small thing. But once you build large systems... They are really, really great problems, and and there's nothing that I love more than sitting together with a bunch of great engineers and uh, drawing on the blackboard together and, and and solving puzzles and and making like like very quick order of magnitude estimations. like if we do it like this, then the write performance is going to be faster, but the read is going to be slower, or the list is slower, or the scale is faster. and And this is what we're continuously doing. You want to make these these trade-offs between uh, what does the customer need and what can we offer and, and it's 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 always closing the loop with the customers is really the, the the best thing like you 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 find options you show them back to that customer and then you see which ones matter most and that drives the architecture and that's 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 really fun to work with great engineering teams.
0: Absolutely and looking back then over the last 12 months what would you say has been a uh the most memorable moment both personally and professionally for you?
1: Well as as I've always seen in companies especially if you join as a new guy um, you you don't want to be you cannot be a leader without getting the respect and to, to get the respect of engineers you need to speak their language and you need I mean you don't need to know all the details but you need to appreciate the complexity of certain things and so getting to work with this new engineering team and, and getting that, that cooperation together, that's, that's, really, that's really fantastic where you bo- both parties bring stuff to the table. Because um, I, I think there's, there's like two, two types of people. There's this eye-shaped profiles as we call them who can engineers who can go very deep and they, they choose in their career to keep going deep and they know all the details and they can be very fast to build something if it's exactly in, in, in that area. You have more T-shaped profiles who, who have expertise in one or two domains, but try to get broad and, and see the full picture. And, and that's basically where I chose to, uh, to land and, and, and security and, and, and storage and distributed systems is really what I, what I went deep in, but I, I try to keep uh, the overview. And so, so this cooperation is, is, is really um, like getting together on a blackboard and solving a problem and that that really gives so much energy and happiness Um, and then of course building it is a lot of work and that's that's that happens after it but really solving a problem and on on, on paper and seeing it will help and possibly filing a a patent that's that's really um, yeah what I love the most that's
0: um, a real driving force for you. What about um, personally? Then, were there any um, any highlights for you over the last year?
1: I Have three kids, so they are uh, also one of them is starting to program a little. <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> I, I like um, if I see their happiness mm-hmm. on, on solving problems. That's uh, that's what I like. But again, I don't know yet what they are uh, exactly going to become. I mean, they're 10, 12, and 14. But uh, we'll we'll see.
0: <laughs> yeah, early interest there. That's good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, <laughs> but they they have their own life. They have to be. Of course,
0: absolutely. So that brings us to the second section of the podcast, which is called The Chief. And this is where we find out a little bit more about your management and training style. I think working for the company that you work for, innovation is probably top of mind most of the time, but what would be your advice to others in in your position when it comes to the best approach for communicating your area of expertise to the wider c-suite
1: in in my role if you want to drive technology you have to embrace the fact that you prototype very often and that you can fail fast so you need to try out things but you you cannot make it too big or, or too expensive so so trying things giving demos and failing fast so like you say with failing i mean like abort a certain path or a certain visualization or a certain approach so Closing the loop with customers, giving demos, trying out things, that's, that's what we're continuously doing. And, and that's, that's important. I mean, there's there's big theories on, on, on agile companies and agile processes, but but the reality is just like you need to. I mean, there's there's also theories on MVP products, but it's really you need to get together with, with the users of your products and get very quickly. Give them something tangible. Don't talk about it, be very visual. Um, preferably show a live demo of something that, that's, I mean, it can be fake, it can just be a UI or something, but, but show them what the, the flow and the thought processes would be. And that's the fastest way to, to get things done. And also what's, what's very important then more internally towards um, teams is to explain things simple. So I've seen that all over my career explaining difficult things difficult technical things in a simple way is is the best you can do to to get like sponsorship from from non-technical vps like like in the companies i've been acquired in the past it's always about how can you make them feel comfortable so you speak their language always a, a address to your audience in the language they understand because it, it's not about about showing how know how much you know about a topic or how many difficult words you know about a topic. It's really getting the audience to understand and hear what you're saying, and 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 that's really you need to know your topic so well before you can really tune in to exactly what your audience wants to hear or or at least understands uh, and, and can um, report to. So that's that's really um, an important advice. And apart from that, I think the the 14 leadership principles from amazon i mean much ink has uh, been used for that but it's it's they are great i mean it's about passion for the customer it's about also fail fast is in there uh, be quick uh, uh, deliver results so so these leadership principles are are absolutely very valuable and and they, they, they make you somehow vulnerable because it's they also say like you you cannot just delegate you cannot just be sitting there okay you've you've achieve the certain title or role and, and just delegate work that, that never works you have to you have to go much you have to make make your hands dirty and keep them dirty all the time if you want to be credible towards partners customers or even towards your own engineering teams that's important
0: good advice you mentioned earlier about your personal interest in security and obviously security is front of mind for most organizations today and probably will be looking ahead How closely do you work with the, I'm not sure whether you have a CISO or a security team anyway, to kind of keep security top of mind when you're working on new innovations? How closely do you work together to make sure security is built in from that very early stage?
1: with the engineers so we were lucky that that people are pretty well aware of of how security works and and understand i mean most people don't know the difference between authentication and authorization for example it's difficult terms but in our team people are are really very senior understand these concepts and indeed as you say it has to be built in from day one so at, at at some point in the past we in in one of my earlier jobs People really wanted to go fast, and they thought of security as something you can add at the end, and it's it's a nightmare. It's it's close to impossible. So indeed, we are from day one in everything we uh, think of, we we have security in mind, and it's it's both about the access which users can access certain data, but also in our case, when we move data around or migrate data, we are or, or replicate data. It's very critical that that the security settings are properly copied over that you don't have a highly secured piece of data that's copied into a non-secured piece of data. And what's interesting is that customers, um, especially during a M&A activity, you, you have like a huge data lake from the acquiring company and then another maybe smaller data lake from the acquired company. And the IT folks need to bring that together into typically one domain of users and one storage system. And, and that causes all kinds of headaches. So we have plenty of security features that, again, based on customer asks, to remap users, to clear um, users that no longer exist in the system. So all these things are, are, are happening pretty often uh, in the activities we do
0: nowadays. So looking back then, what is the best advice you've ever been given by a manager? And how has that shaped your own management strategy?
1: What I heard at some point is is whatever you're doing think as if it's with your own money so if you're i mean if you're an owner of a company or, or a founder it is your own money so it's, it's it's more natural but but once you are an employee or you um yeah you, you come in later or there's venture capital in there so at that point it's it's like what we what we sometimes jokingly call other people's money but still in every decision think as if it's your own money because that that's a very easy guideline to um to to prioritize even before you ask permission you, you have to like do the uh, i mean i think it's one of the amazon principles also like be, be frugal but so you have to really if if you understand the mindset of your of your own leaders or or your founders then it's much easier to to come up with the proper suggestions and and the proper ideas so don't, don't think politically in your own little island or your own role but but think more about the full picture as if it's your own
0: absolutely and the last year has been a particularly trying year for, for most people. What would you say keeps you up at night or what's the biggest challenge for you? And how do you unwind outside of work?
1: The biggest challenge in work is by working at home, it's very hard to brainstorm. So um, I think technological progress is going to be low in 2020, all over the world, honestly, because the the dynamic of um, getting IDs, looking at each other's body language, um, shutting down certain paths or parking certain items. As we, we haven't solved it, but we consider it solvable. So let's focus again on the core. That dynamic is very difficult over uh, over Zoom or other media. I mean, these media are great, but still, I I, I don't think they can at all replace uh, technological innovation. So I so I don't understand why people. Think that we're all going to stay at home uh, post this period? I, I, I honestly don't believe that because it's it's not smart economically to do that. So um, that's that's something that that happens and um, unwinding. Well, I yeah I I, I dive into um, learning other technologies. There's there's I mean of course plenty of nice things with blockchain happening now. So to learn or or, or other stuff um, and also yeah hiking going out that's 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 really fun but uh but it's it's been a pretty boring year honestly for for most of us I guess <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you're looking forward to getting back in the office Oh, absolutely all the chats absolutely. yeah yeah is that on the cards for you
1: I guess July, July would be realistic. I mean, the office is open, but we simply don't go. So it's July would be realistic.
0: Well, the next section of the podcast is called Getting Down to Business. And this is where we find out a little bit more about your strategy for the year ahead. We kind of touched on this just now. um, But as we've said, it's been a, a real testing year for everyone. How do you plan to stay afloat in 2021 amid the ongoing uncertainty?
1: I think 2020 was was it was not a great year but it was not terribly bad for us either so what we saw is uh, delays in in projects obviously um but the good thing for us is that so what data adobe does is is moving data that's essentially moving or copying data around and with the pandemic so many people work from home that customers are re Investigating, like, how, how should they do their their IT architecture? So, I mean, some customers were like not doing cloud or waiting with cloud, and suddenly you have like um, countries where, let's say, all all doctors, all practitioners are at home, and if they need to retrieve an X-ray image, in in the old days they were they were in their um, in the hospital, for example, and they got very fast access to the database, but but now they're working from home. They all go technically through some very tiny pipes to get the data in a secure way, but but that that doesn't make sense anymore. So if people are working distributed, then getting it from the cloud is actually much more faster and higher available way to do it through some tiny secure path. So people start to accelerate their thinking like, how can we use cloud even in regulated industries like like finance or healthcare or governments? And still get the the proper security uh, in there and so what we did see the second half of last year it started is more and more projects to to move data into cloud rather than move it from one system to another so the traditional data adobe um, customers were were doing a tech refresh every four years or every five years when their hardware was like uh, out and um, they were moving it again on-prem to another on-prem system. But nowadays we see them more look at, can I move it to the globe? Or should I even keep my second data center? So they always have two data centers for high availability. And one of the questions is, if they do a tech refresh in the second data center, it's like, is, it, is that the proper way to, to to go forward? Or should we move instead that second data center completely in the globe? And this way we not only have... Um, like a hedge technology wise so that we have different attack surfaces for, for malware and ransomware and so on. But we also get into a cloud strategy. We get different um, CapEx versus OPEX payments and so on. And that's that's what, what people are evaluating. So they're no longer simply replacing like a one petabyte system with a new one petabyte system. They're, they're more evaluating it. So that's good for us because um, as I think one of our founders always says, um, we don't care if you move to the cloud or from the cloud or from one vendor to another. We are Switzerland, he says. I mean, we we want to move data and then the more new um, technologies appear the the better but so what we at Data we do is make sure that that we are extremely compatible with all these platforms and clouds and that we can that customers can safely and securely move that data and never have any data corruption or data loss during that movement when they when they replatform so Amazon and Microsoft are pretty big in that whole industry and what's really weird is where is Google it's like Google is like definitely capable of doing all those things as well. I mean, they were leaders uh, 10 years ago, technologically, and probably today they still are, but, but they don't seem to be very interested in, in in capturing all that that enterprise data in their cloud. So they are of course, very strong in like genomics and certain research oriented data loads, but, but the enterprise is like being divided between Amazon and, and, and Microsoft at, at this very moment
0: interesting isn't it seeing yeah, what's happening in the in the market you just mentioned that it wasn't a terrible year for the company probably driven by this push to the cloud as you say how would you compare the last 12 months for your organization compared to the previous
1: well i only joined 12 months ago but what we saw is in the in the previous years there was like um, a more obvious way to 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 migrate data with, with with the same amount and do it on premises people kept it on premises so it was it was' an, an yeah and there, there's more choice now I would say and and choice of course doesn't always speed up the decision making <laughs> so that mm. that's something we saw um, and also we saw delays like especially in healthcare people were, um, they had so many short-term requirements now, like like COVID researchers, that that the, the systems were just kept up even beyond their 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 service lifetime, and and people are just extending the lifetime until it breaks. I think. But so what we what we know we'll see this year is many of these um, postponed projects will will get back and and we get some accelerated uh, movement of data. One one company was also um, in in the finance sector. Was uh, around the elections in the United States, there was there's plenty of um, data that had to be moved, and, and that was amazing how how quick we we had to do it. So We had like three weeks to move petabytes of data b- because we had to finish it before the elections because people expected a ton of load in 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 transactions on on, on the stock market to happen, and, and it, it worked. So we were very happy there.
0: That's good. I bet that's quite exciting to be part of a project that's got that real intensity around it.
1: Absolutely. If, if it has to be urgent, like everybody is in there together and, and we're doing one or two fixes in the, in the software to make it even faster, specifically for that workload. Um, high bandwidth communication with the customer to to uh, communicate about the status of things. So that's, that's really energizing. Absolutely.
0: Brilliant. And looking ahead then... Are there any trends that you think that CTOs or C-level C executives should be considering as part of their innovation strategy in the coming year or two?
1: We are seeing that silos of storage, so individual systems that are all over the place, are getting more and more considered in one big, I mean, the, the marketing term is lake. but I'm not a marketeer, but, but the data lakes so are the... The, all these systems together are like what a C-level or, or what, a, what a what a company owns in terms of data. And what we see is that you, you don't want to look at individual systems anymore. You want to look at the full picture. Like you have uh, 70% of your data is on-prem in these three or four data centers, 30% is in cloud. And you want to know what all that stuff is. You want to know your risks with respect to vendors with respect to outages or or certain regions. Um, with respect to regulation, which data is is should be um, kept, which data should actually be removed, what are the laws, the local laws to do with like employees who who leave a company, what should I do with their data? So there's there's like a need for a more holistic view on all the data that you have rather than considering it in individual silos. And 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 that's definitely what we're what we're working at, so that that customers get an easier way to find out which data should be deleted, should be owned by somebody else, should be archived, should be moved, should be kept in place. So there's there's a number of options there, and so the strength of Adobe is to have all these um these relations with all the vendors. So all the storage vendors talk to us. We get early builds, and we can um make our software compatible, or even sometimes we have bugs or, or we find bugs in their software. And since we can connect with all these vendors, all these systems, that makes it much easier to have this holistic view on, on, on all the data and to do discovery and find out which data needs to go where or what, what actions need to be taken. And, and how is there cost savings possible? Is there security that's not good enough? Is there data that, that should move for regulatory reasons? Plenty of options.
0: And data volume is just going to keep growing, right? So this is going to be really important.
1: Unfortunately, yes. So um, deleting data is expensive, not so much technically, but from a human perspective, from a process perspective. Like an IT guy cannot decide to delete data. He can at most ask very kindly to his department heads or, or maybe IT departments, you look at the data, you, you to charge back, you can report how, how much data each department uses. But if it's too much, then there's like it's very expensive to identify which data has to go away. So that's where I think machine learning and artificial intelligence will help to identify data that shouldn't be there. A typical example is that you might accidentally have a copy of all your personal videos or personal photos. a company share because it's on your laptop and it happens to be picked up by some synchronization process that you might not even know of i mean yes you could do it deliberately but much more it's 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 just happened by accident but all the data is huge so it's not it's not the company's role to to pay for storing your data your, your personal data and so identifying that and getting a simple process that that you as an employee learn about it and and you might just Click OK, delete it. I'm sorry, nobody has to know it. Even it's like a, an automated thing that will really keep the the load down of the amount of data that's that's kept that shouldn't be kept. Um, there's also often duplicates. I mean, you might receive an email with a with a nice PowerPoint or PDF. You store that PDF somewhere, and again, all these duplicates are very expensive because you store the same data a hundred times or more. So this holistic view of of all company data and and doing deduplication uh, finding security problems is really something that's that's going to happen in, in the coming years and that's really across all vendors and across both cloud and on premises systems
0: sure. The last section of the podcast is where we hand over to you. We call this against the clock and it's your opportunity to give a final message, shall we say, to listeners and other CTOs or C-level execs. What would be your parting message for them based on your specific area of expertise? We asked for around two minutes, but I'll, I'll leave it with you. If you'd like to go ahead and jump into your selected topic, that would be great.
1: Well, there's some some uh, new technology that's uh, still in, in university uh, being developed as we speak. But um, nowadays, it becomes possible to uh, compute, do computations like, like, let's say, a Google search on encrypted data. That's something new. And uh, people thought it was impossible, but it becomes slowly possible. It's going to take five years or more for sure. But But so that means, for example, you could run a query against encrypted genomics data to find a certain marker or a certain vulnerability. And you, the, the people who own the data do not see the query and, and, and vice versa. The guy who does the query only sees the result but didn't see the data. So what I expect is that these anonymous searches, um, anonymous data mining without actually seeing the data, it's, it's, it sounds crazy, but it is possible. That will really lead to a world where we have um, data ownership and algorithms who analyze the data, which, which which might become separate. So of course it will be plenty of data movement because this is very uh, compute intensive to do all this stuff. But you might imagine a world where every country has a database of the genomics data of their citizens. And then some international pharmaceutical company is doing a query on top of that data without actually the country having to hand out the data to to some central authority. Same thing with financial data, to to do fraud detection. You might want to do fraud detection internationally by looking at at all kinds of activities. But of course, these countries and these banks are not giving the data. They're just giving you the opportunity to, to, to query it in some private preserving manner. So what I would say is that at all levels, companies and and governments um, should really understand that the value of the data will even go up. That there will be an international marketplace where all that data can be exchanged in a privacy-friendly way, and and that we will have even more pools of data to mine and to hopefully progress science and 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 medicine and stuff like that. So I, I I'm really uh, yeah very much into that stuff and. And I hope uh, it, it becomes true and, and technically possible soon.
0: Really fascinating, isn't it? Thinking what Absolutely. might be ahead yeah. of us <laughs> and the value that has. Well, that's that's brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. I hope that July does see a return to the office for you and some of those. And
1: for you, I hope that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> some of those brilliant conversations that you mentioned with the team.
1: Yes, to do the brainstorming
0: absolutely like boards <laughs> throwing
1: pens at each other once in a while
0: yeah <laughs> part of the fun right of course. <laughs> well thank you so much and i hope you have a lovely weekend
1: thank you jess have a nice day and you Bye.
0: bye bye that sadly brings us to the end of today's at sea level podcast to our guest carl Dalloween, chief technology officer at data thank you so much for joining us it's been a really insightful discussion today thank you to our listeners for tuning in really hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back very soon with the next installment of at sea level